Well, hey, great to see everyone today. So glad you made it, and I'm so glad you let your shout be heard. <laughs> so listen, if you're new with us, my name's John. I'm lead pastor here. I'm glad you came, and you joined us on the first day of a new series that we're just starting, and uh, that's a great time to, to come because then you can just come along for the whole journey, and uh, you've started uh, with week one, so stick with me for five weeks on this journey called Shout, and let's see what God does. You know, the shout... Is, is, a, is an idea and a reality that sometimes is amazing and sometimes it isn't so amazing. Not all the shouts that we've experienced or participated in or received were good ones. You know, sometimes shouts leave a certain impression. I remember being a freshman in high school and I was going out for the lacrosse team and, and the, first, uh, the first day of practice, I went out and they gave us all our gear and you know, shoulder pads and, and big, thick, heavy gloves and a stick and a helmet had us suit up in our gear and then said, we're going for a run. And it was going to be a four-mile run around the neighborhoods. And I hadn't been doing a bunch of running that summer. I had been kicking back and watching a lot of cartoons, apparently, because when the run started, I quickly just fell back. And I'm, and I'm you know, at a slow jog kind of near the back of the pack. And this guy, Mike, who was one of the seniors and one of the leaders of the team, looked over his shoulder and saw way in the back that I, I was slacking off. And, and he ran backwards, and he got up right next to me, and he ran backwards right next to me, and he got right in my face, and he was like, what the blankety blank, 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 and shouted right in my face, letting me know in so many words that shall not be repeated here and now what a slacker I was. And... It was one of those freshman memories that made an indelible impression on the back of my mind. You know, that, that, that remembrance of, of a shout right in my face, you know, that was telling me uh, how inadequate I was in so many words. And other kinds of shouts, probably you've had some experiences a little like that. Maybe you were on the other side of the equation. But I remember also being in China where I lived for two years and uh, that was in, in 99 when I was there. And at that time, America had inadvertently dropped a bomb in Eastern Europe uh, in a location that turned out to be a Chinese uh, political building. And so in China, what the news reported was America has just attacked China. You know, that was the, the news. And I lived there in this building. And all of a sudden, for, I didn't know what was going on, but I just remember this terrible roaring sound, which was the entire student body, like 10,000 students, marching around my building, throwing rocks at it and shouting something to the effect of go home, <laughs> in other words. And I, I'll never forget the sound of that shout. It left a deep impression on me. And we're going to jump into a section of scripture today that kind of begins with that kind of shout. And so we're going to spend a little bit of time today in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 17. So I want to invite you to open up your Bible. And uh, if you didn't bring one, then the Bible app on your phone, if you don't have that, download it now and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17 in the first half of the Bible. It's on the left. And uh, as you're making your way there, here's kind of the backstory. This part of the scripture that we'll dive into is the, the part of scripture where we meet David. And uh, David, well, he's actually come up already, but David is here uh, you know, a, a, young, a young guy, the people of Israel regard David as one of the greatest kings, and, 
and, and loved him as one of the heroes of the, the whole lineage. And, and he's a great king, but at this moment, he hasn't become king yet. In, in fact, he, he's been anointed to become king by the prophet, but he hasn't yet been appointed to be king by the process. And that's another sermon for another time, but that there's sometimes a distance between a revelation and then the reality that that revelation is pointing towards. Again, that's another message for another time, but, but what you need to know is that at this moment, David is not yet the great king that everybody knows. He's a, he's a kid who's kind of in the back 40 doing his own thing, but uh, we, we come into a situation where the people of God are dealing with a, a, a battle with the Philistines. And so we're going to jump in right there at verse 1. So 1 Samuel chapter 17 uh, and verse 1. This is God's word. The Philistines now mustered their army for battle and camped between Soko and Judah and Azekah at Ephes Demim. And Saul countered by gathering his Israelite troops near the valley of Elah. And so the Philistines and the Israelites faced each other on opposite hills with the valley between them. And then Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was over nine feet tall. He wore a bronze helmet, and his bronze coat of mail weighed 125 pounds. He also wore leg armor, and he carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder, and the shaft of his spear was as heavy and thick as a weaver's beam, tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. His armor bearer walked ahead of him carrying a shield, and Goliath stood and shouted a taunt. Everyone say, shouted. Shouting. Goliath stood and shouted a taunt across to the Israelites. Why are you all coming out? I'm the Philistine champion. You're only the servants of Saul. Choose one man to come down here and fight me. If he kills me, you'll be our slaves. But if I kill him, you'll be our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel. Send me a man who will fight me. And when Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. A little background on this. So, so at this point in the Bible's history, the people of God have come into the promised land. By God's decree, this was their land. And they have dealt with all of the ites so far. I mean, they fought off the Amalekites and the Perizzites and the Hittites and the Midianites and all the ites. But now they got to go up against the Steens. And it's a bad day. they got to deal with the Philistines. And the Philistines, they see what God's people had seen, which is that the land is a great land flowing with milk and honey. And they decide, we want it. And so they're willing to fight for it. And they've adopted this Greek military custom, which was to... To, to bring out one champion to represent the whole army and let that one champion from their side duke it out with the one champion from the other side and let that be a representative battle. Sometimes they'd even honor the outcome of that. But the real purpose of it was to create a sense of intimidation. It was a kind of a psychological warfare tactic. And they had a secret weapon in Goliath. And and he was huge. And so the result is that the people of Israel were terrified and deeply shaken because all they could see was, oh my gosh, this dude is massive. I mean, you caught it, right? The, even the, the spearhead was 15 pounds. That's a big spearhead. 
I mean, you think about a gallon of milk, right? And you might lift that up, and what does it weigh? I don't know, five pounds, a spearhead that's going to be 15 pounds. It's massive, and that's all they could see. All they could see was he's nine feet tall, 125 pounds of armor. We're dead. We're doomed. And you know what? The same thing happens for so many of us, where the, the vision of the, the problem we're facing gets all of our attention, and it's all we can see. And it seems to somehow even eclipse any perspective we might possibly have that we have a Father in heaven who is a mighty God who loves us. But, but when we lose sight of that reality, all we can see is this giant in front of us, this giant problem, this giant obstacle, this giant opposition, this giant difficulty, this giant disease, this giant mound of debt, this giant challenge. And I think the, the, the challenge for us is, is to recognize that all that leads to is being terrified and shaken. And there's got to be a way that we, that we shift our perspective and begin to see things differently. But it wasn't just the size of Goliath that was a problem. It was also his shout. And we read it quick, but let's just revisit it again. And so in verse 8, it says that, uh, that Goliath stood and shouted a taunt across to the Israelites, saying, why are you all coming out to fight? I'm the Philistine champion. But it was this particular kind of shout that Goliath brought. And, and it's important to, to take note of something. What I've discovered in preparing for this this teaching series is that there are lots of different kinds of shouts. And in particular, in the Bible, there are seven different ancient words that all get translated into this one English word, shout. And I think it's worth getting into the difference of meaning in some of those words. And, and so I want you to know that the shout that Goliath came with was a particular kind of shout. It was called uh, an akura. That's the Hebrew word, akura. I want you to get your Hebrew on for a second and say it, akura. Akura. This word, akura, yeah, you could just translate it shout, and you might not know anything different about it. But when you do a little bit of digging, what you find is that this word, akura, easily translated shout, it means particularly to come with a cry of hostility while accosting someone. That's the specific kind of meaning of this word, akura. Anybody experienced somebody akuraing you at some point in your life? <laughs> yeah, and you, you know what the, the problem is with a shout like that? A shout like that has a way of getting into your head and staying there. That kind of shout, that shout, that, that call of hostility while accosting someone, the ultimate trash talk shout, it has a way of sticking in your brain and resounding and reverberating. It seems to have a resonance with something inside. And it's hard to, it's hard to hit the stop button. It's hard to eject the tape on that one. But that's what we need to learn to do. Because otherwise, that shout is all we can hear. And you know what? I wonder if maybe some of us are experiencing that in our own lives. And, and we've got giant deals of our own that we're up against. And, and now I'm not talking about, you know, 2,700 years ago in the Valley of Elah on some dusty battlefield in the Middle East. I'm talking about your life right now. And let's just call it Goliath. But what it really is, is it's, it's this moment where, where you're wondering, am I going to fight for this marriage? I think I should, but I don't even know. And that's the giant in front of you. This project at work, 
that it feels like it is the make it or break it project. It's either what's going to lift you up or take you out permanently. Or it's this situation with your health that you just found out about. And, and it's this giant thing in front of you. And then what comes along with that is, is this shout, this taunt, right? The akura sound, that, that call of hostility while accosting someone. And it sounds like this. And maybe there's a real person who says it. You're never going to make it. You're not going to be able to pull this off. Who do you think you are? But maybe it doesn't even come from somebody else who's shouting it physically at us. Maybe that shout is self-generated sometimes. Where from within, we get this, we get this thing going where we start saying, I, I don't think I'm going to be able to do this. I don't think I can make it. I think I'm going to fail. I think I'm inadequate. I think I'm inferior. Who do, who do I think I am? I might as well just back down. And we get that thing going inside of us that if we really were to stop and think about it, doesn't sound at all like the voice of our Heavenly Father. It sounds like the accuser of the brethren. It sounds like the devil himself. And what is, is needed is for you and I to recognize that shade-throwing shout for what it is and to decide that we'd rather hear the voice of our God. And so, so in this moment, the people of Israel are out there shaken and terrified. But what I love is that God is always on the move. And, and, and he's moving and he's, and he's deciding to, to move on behalf of his people. And what he does is he, he tags David. Little David, who is, is nobody right now. But David thinks, okay, I'm going to go bring a snack to my brothers. That's kind of what he thinks he's going to do. But what's about to happen is about to change the direction of the course of the people of Israel's history and David's own destiny. And uh, I want to just jump back into verse 12. It's what it says here. It says, now David was the son of a man named Jesse, an Ephrathite from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. Jesse was an old man at that time, and he had eight sons. Jesse's three oldest sons, Eliab, Abinadab, and Shemaiah, had already joined Saul's army to fight the Philistines. David was the youngest son. David's three oldest brothers stayed with Saul's army, but David went back and forth so he could help his father with the sheep in Bethlehem. For 40 days, every morning and evening, the Philistine champions strutted in front of the Israelite army. One day, Jesse said to David, hey, take this basket of roasted grain and these 10 loaves of bread and carry them quickly to your brothers and give these 10 cuts of cheese to their captain. See how your brothers are getting along and bring back a report of how they're doing. Don't you wonder what kind of cheese it was? I hope it was the creamy Toscano from Trader Joe's. I hope he did it right. Bring back a report on how they're doing. David's brothers were with Saul and the Israelite army at the Valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. So David left the sheep with another shepherd and set out early the next morning with the gifts as Jesse had directed him. He arrived at the camp just as the Israelite army was leaving for the battlefield with shouts and battle cries. And soon the Israelite and Philistine forces stood facing each other, army against army. And David left his things with the keeper of supplies and hurried out to the ranks to greet his brothers. And as he was taking, uh, talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, came out from the Philistine ranks, and David heard him shout his usual taunts to the army of Israel. As soon as the Israelite army saw him, they began to run away in fright. Have you seen the giant? The men asked. He comes out each day to defy Israel. The king has offered a huge reward to anyone who kills him. 
He'll give that man one of his daughters for a wife, and the man's entire family will be exempted from paying taxes. Glory to God. <laughs> David asked the soldiers standing nearby, what will a man get for killing this Philistine and ending his defiance of Israel? Who is this pagan Philistine anyway that he's allowed to defy the armies of the living God? And these men gave David the same reply. And they said, yeah, that's the reward for killing him. But when David's oldest brother, Eliab, heard David talking to the men, he was angry. What are you doing around here anyway, he demanded. What about those few sheep you're supposed to be taking care of? I know about your pride and deceit. You just want to see the battle. What have I done now, David replied. I was only asking a question. Does anyone feel a little bit better about what happens between your teenage kids when you read some things like this in the Bible? It's like, okay, we're not the only ones. What have I done now, David replied to his brother. I was only asking a question. He walked over to some others and asked them the same things and received the same answer. Then David's question was reported to King Saul, and the king sent for him. Don't worry about this Philistine, David told Saul. I'll go fight him. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy. He's been a man of war since his youth. This, this moment for David is, is, is a challenge because, I mean, he's coming out there with this, this courageous spirit with anticipation for what God can do. But what's surrounding him is this crushing sense of devaluation. And it, it threatens to extinguish his faith. It, it threatens to put out that fire that's rising up inside of him, which is the very thing that would bring the victory. But what I love about David is that he's, he's arrived at a way of living in which he is able to, to see the, the shade shout for what it is, and he decides to shut it out. And I want you to know that if you're going to step into the sound of victory, this is what you and I must learn to do, is to shut out the sound of the shade shout. You say that five times real fast. Shut out the sound of the shade shout. That is what David does in this moment. He shuts out the sound of the shade shout. And it is why whatever comes next is able to come next. Because what if David would have come into that moment and gone, wow, I mean, nobody seems to think anything good could happen. <laughs> They're probably right. Why bother? I mean, sometimes that happens. We believe the lie just because it's shouted loud enough. And we decide to back down, give up, throw in the towel, walk away, when all the while there was a victory that was possible. But it would require us to do like David did and shut out the sound of the shade shout. So my question for you is, who are you listening to? Who's got your ear? And what are they speaking into it? Is it the sound of your heavenly father's good word to you that would prompt you with faith and encouragement to fight for the goodness that's ahead? Or, or does something got your ear that, that, that's kind of shouting that, that shade? You're not going to make it. You can't pull this off. You're not good enough to do this. Who do you think you are? You might as well just shrink away and slink on back into that bar and give up. Because that is the shade shout. It's the akura. And it's time to shut it down. It's time to shut it out. And it's time to take a cue from this hero of the faith and decide now that you're going to listen to the voice of your God. In verse 34 
I just keep reading. In verse 34, the scripture continues, and it says, David persisted. He says, I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, and when a lion or bear came to steal the lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club, and I rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw, and I club it to death. I've done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too, for he's defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. And Saul finally consented. All right, go ahead. <laughs> May the Lord be with you. <laughs> Gosh, Saul, thanks for the encouragement, future father-in-law. This, uh, this moment, uh, the, the shade shout seems to intensify. And with it, so does the need for David to shut out the sound of that uh, that shade shout. But how David does it is worth paying some attention to. Because what David does in this moment is, is he reaches back to all the things that he's experienced where God gave him victory before. And, and he allows remembering what God has done to give him victory in the past to fuel him for what's going to be possible in the future. He's reaching into his own history with God, the moments where something threatening was about to happen, something that could have taken him out was about to come, but God gave him victory there. And he's grabbing hold of that and going, I know, I know that God has given me victory in the past, therefore I believe that he'll be able to give me victory in what's to come. He lets his, his own God stories fuel his faith steps into his future. And, and so for any of us, I, I hope... I hope that every one of us, in some way, shape, or form, have some things in our life that are out in front of us that are worthy challenges, that we're believing God for, something good in our, in our kids' lives, in our family life, in our business, in our personal pursuits, and what we're doing for the kingdom of God. I hope that we're not just going to be content with the status quo for the next 30 and then the grave. I hope that we're looking into the days to come and saying, let me go after something. But to do that and be victorious in it, you're going to need to shut out the sound of the shade shout and let your God stories fuel your faith steps. You need a lot more coffee. I just wanted to tell you that. <laughs> ah, man, if I was sitting right there and my preacher said, you got to let your God stories fuel your faith steps, I'd be like, "Woo! yes, give it to me. I'll just tell you a little secret. You'll always get a better sermon when you give a little bit of feedback. It'll just keep some goodness coming. It allows the anointing to surge a little bit. So anyway, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let my God stories fuel my faith steps. I'm going to reach into my history with God, and I'm going to declare I've seen him move. I've seen him do great things in my life. There was a time when I thought I was going to lose everything, and I thought I was going to fall off the face of the map practically when I lost it all. But God came through and sustained me. You have a story like that where you remember a time where you thought that you were going to suffocate under the weight of the pressure because of what was going on with your business, but you cried out to God, and he gave you his victorious hand, and here you are today. You're still alive to tell about it. You've got a history with God. You've got God stories, and it's time for you to let your God stories fuel your faith steps. Your future's worth fighting for, but it's your history with God. And what he's done for you that fuels you for that journey. 
take this cue from David. Psalm 77, verse 11, it says, I will remember the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord. I will remember the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord. I mean, I don't want to say it like it's ancient history. I'll just tell you, even a month ago, when we were about to do a marriage conference here, and about a week before the marriage conference, all of a sudden, in my own marriage, we started, we, we had a, let's just say, a sharp dispute emerge. <laughs> Is that a good way to put it? Okay, so, I mean, it was the kind of thing where, I mean, I'm driving around at night, you know, yelling in my car, like, Yes, me, yes, right, that happens, you know, because it was so severe. And by the way, just to make sure I set the record straight, 99% of the times that kind of thing happens in my home, it's because of some foolishness I bring to the equation. I just want that to be on the record. It's me. But all I knew was, all I could find myself saying to myself is, I can't believe I have to talk at a marriage conference next week. And that shout, that akura is rattling around in my mind. Who do I think I am to tell anybody how to help their marriage? I'm driving around mad, screaming in my car. Like, what? And, 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 I, and I did that for a good long while, and then I recognized, this isn't, this isn't helping. I think I've been in moments like this before. Because it was like one of those moments where it's like, it's all over, it's all over, you know? It's not, but it feels that way in the moment. And I had to remember, you know what, we've been through moments like this before where I bring my foolishness, it creates a big problem, but we, we make it through it. And, and we find a way to bring grace and forgiveness back to each other, and God gives us that victory. And I just started remembering, wow, yeah, time and time again, there is a grace from God to keep growing through those rough spots. And, and remembering that God story, those kinds of God stories, one after another, is what allowed me to say, you know what, it's going to be okay. And lo and behold, again, she forgave me. And again, we were able to make it, right? So God's stories fuel the faith steps to keep going. And so David rehearses the God stories. Ah, I remember when the bear came, I killed that thing. I remember when the lion came, I killed that thing. I'm sorry, P-E-T-A, but it's the Bible. And so the scriptures continue in verse 38. It says that Saul gave David his own armor, a bronze helmet and a coat of mail. And David put it on, strapped the sword over it, took a step or two to see what it was like, for he had never worn such things before. I can't go in these, he protested to Saul. I'm not used to them. So David took them off again, and he picked up five smooth stones from a stream and put them into his shepherd's bag. And then, armed only with his shepherd's staff and sling, he started across the valley to fight the Philistine. You know, Saul wanted to dress David up in what Saul thought he ought to look like. Saul had, had one view of how you could achieve a victory. And, and as, as far as Saul was concerned, that's the only way you do it. But David... As soon as he tried it on, he recognized, this, just, this is not me. I don't know anything about this. But this, this, this I know. And there he goes, out into the battlefield with a stick and a string and some rocks. A stick and some string and some rocks. But David knew that in order for him to step into the sound of victory, he would need to be who God called him to be. Not who Saul and everyone else thought he ought to be. And it's important for every one of us to understand this, that to step into that sound of victory in our lives, we've got to be who God's 
called us to be and not who whatever else, whoever else thinks we ought to be. Yeah, I remember a time, this is, you know, going back a decade plus at this point, but early on for me in, in, in being pastor of this church, I, I had a number of times where some people came to me and said, hey, I want to give you something, and with generosity and kindness, here, and it was a bag of, you know, brand new pleated business slacks and wrinkle-free button-down shirts, and another time, hey, I want to give you something, and it, generosity and kindness, right, but a, a, a set of nice brand new ties, and another time, I want to give you something, and nice, shiny, new, you know, penny loafers, and you know, each one of these occurrences, it came with a little, a little talk, and the upshot of the talk was, in one way or another, something kind of like this, hey, really like you, uh, we'd probably all respect you more if you could just dress the part, you know, and so, I, for, I, for a, a quick minute, I put on the, the pleated business slacks and penny loafers and the button-down wrinkle-free shirt, but I felt like oh, I'm just marching around in Saul's armor. I can't do this. I need a jacket and some jeans and some boots, and that's what I'm going to do. I got to be who God called me to be. You rock the tie if that's your thing. And the pleated business slacks, if that's your thing. I just can't, unless it's a funeral. And even then, you know, so, listen, I, I just wanted to tell you that if you want to step into the sound of victory, you got to be who God's called you to be. David knew who God called him to be. And he grabbed that sling, that he grabbed those rocks and that, that shepherd's staff. But, but being who God's called you to be doesn't necessarily mean that you are confined and constrained to just do what you only ever have done. Is David, he recognized, yeah, I, I deal with lions and bears and sheep. And he could have said, you know what? I just got to be me. And so, yeah, I'm just a sheep guy, you know, deal with the occasional bear and lion. So, sorry, guys, peace out. Have fun with Goliath, you know. But for David to be who God called him to be, what he had to recognize is that God has called him to something that he hasn't experienced before a new way of approaching things, a different kind of an experience of exerting himself that would rely on the history of what he's learned and where he's been, but would go into something new where he hasn't been before. And for you to be who God's called you to be, it's calling you to take the strength of what he has done in the past, but to be willing to walk into a future with a heart full of faith, knowing my God is for me to another realm of victory, even though I haven't been there yet. You be who God has called you to be. Verse 41, we continue, and he heads into the battle. It says, Goliath walked out toward David with his shield bearer ahead of him. And sneering in contempt at this ruddy-faced boy, he said, am I a dog that you come at me with a stick? And he cursed David by the names of his gods. Come over here. I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals, Goliath yelled. David replied to the Philistine, you come to me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the army of Israel, whom you've defied. Today, the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you and cut off your head. And then I'll give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and the wild animals. And the whole world will know that there's a God in Israel. You know how we're always kind of opposed to those R-rated movies because of the violence? 
Everyone will know there's a God in Israel. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle. He'll give you to us. As Goliath moved closer to attack, David quickly ran out to meet him, reaching into his shepherd's bag and taking out a stone. He hurled it with his sling and hit that Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank in, and Goliath stumbled and fell face down on the ground. And David triumphed over the Philistines with only a sling and a stone, for he had no sword. And then David ran over and pulled Goliath's sword from its sheath, and David used it to kill him and cut off his head. And when the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they turned and ran. And then the men of Israel and Judah, what did they do? They gave a great, they gave a great shout of triumph and rushed after the Philistines, chasing them as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron. That's a victory story. That's a story of a shout if there ever was one. But you know what I recognize is that in this moment, even though it's still the word shout in the Bible in English, it's a different word now in Hebrew. It's a totally different word. Remember the word that Goliath came out with? His shout was that akura, that cry of hostility while accosting someone, that trash talk shout. Well, David did do some trash talking. But his shout and the shout of the Israelite armies was different. The word is even different in Hebrew. It's the word ruah. Everyone get your Hebrew on and say ruah. ruah. If you have got your Hebrew on in other instances, you might be going, oh, that sounds familiar. What is that? The, the Hebrew word for Holy Spirit is ruah. <laughs> this is not that word. A little different, although related. But the word ruah, it's a particular Hebrew word that means to cry out in joy and triumph in anticipation of a victory. That's what this word is. That's what God's people rise and bring. They bring a shout, but it's a different kind of a shout. It's a cry of joy and triumph in anticipation of a victory. That's a ruah. So David comes running in with a ruah. The troops of Israel go running with a, a ruah, a shout of joy and triumph in anticipation of a victory. That's the kind of shout that you and I are made for. The, the enemy might want to come with a shout of hostility and accosting, but you and I get to come with a shout of joy and victory in anticipation of a triumph. That's what we are made for, that kind of shout. This is the fourth idea that I wanted to share with you. If you want to step into the sound of victory, then you bring a shout of your own. And you bring this kind of a shout. A shout that's based on, I believe in what my God can do. I believe in who he is, and that because of who he is, there's a victory in the wind, because the victorious one is already on the move. And so I came ready to shout about it. And maybe... For some of us, we're in a moment right now where we do have a, a giant of our own we're facing. And we don't feel like shouting because we feel defeated before the battle even began. This is the moment when you need to shout more than any other. A shout of joy and victory in anticipation of a triumph. This is what maybe. It will instigate and stir up a holy zeal and faith inside of you for what God could yet do. And maybe instead of sitting back stoic and silent, you ought to step it up and let the shout out. I mean, we come to these kinds of things and we, we decide, well, I just want to be kind of religious and calm. But then when you read the Bible, 
you find something else altogether. You find people who are willing to say, I believed you for victory, God, and I'm going to shout about it. I will not stay silent. You are too mighty and glorious for me to kick back religious and calm and stoic. I'm going to bring a shout of my own. You know, this past week, I was, uh, I was having a, a, a breakfast meeting with a guy named Thomas Christensen. He's a pastor in Denmark and a friend and uh, has a, a, a great ministry. They're planting a church in Copenhagen. And here's the thing. Copenhagen, the population of that capital of Denmark has a, a situation in which less than 1% of the population even comes to church on a Sunday morning. It's a tough place in Europe right now. But Thomas was sitting across the table from me and he's saying, these are my people. I'm planting a church in Denmark and I, I just want to see a, a group of people come together and come to know Jesus and, and begin to stand and lift their hands in passionate worship and, and cry out their shouts of praise together in the presence of God. And I love the fire in his eyes. But the thing is, I've been with Thomas in Denmark and I've observed that for the most part, the Danish people are pretty reserved and calm and stoic. And I said that to him. I said, Thomas, it's a great vision, but man, I mean, I've been in your city, and I, am I wrong? But it seems to me like pretty much the Danish people aren't like that. I mean, they're pretty calm and reserved and stoic and quiet and, res and all that. And he said, yeah, that's the way they seem to be right now, but that's not who they really are. And he reminded me, my people have the legacy of the Vikings in their blood. <laughs> and so they might have learned how to be stoic and calm and religious and constrained and quiet, but there's something else that they're made for. They're made for that shout of victory because of who Jesus is. And in the end, that's really what I'm hoping you'd really deeply embrace, it is that you have been made righteous by him. I say so. In Psalm 118, this is the scripture we dwelt on a bit earlier, shouts of joy and victory resound in the tents of the righteous. The righteous. And, and many of you would, would have acknowledged, that's me. Because of what Jesus has done, that's me. And it's good to acknowledge that. I'm righteous in Christ. We said that together. But for many of us, we need to allow ourselves to remember that because of being the righteous in Christ, we have real victory in our lives, an ultimate victory, an ultimate victory by which we've overcome every bit of shame and sin and guilt and stain and warfare, pain that this world could ever bring. And this is what the scripture says in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 4. It says, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. Everyone. Someone say everyone. Every one of us who have ever turned to Jesus and said, I give you my trust, I give you my life, we get to be born of God through that means. Everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes Jesus is the Son of God. Amen. Only the one who believes Jesus is the Son of God. When you put your trust in Jesus, the Son of God, and, and you believe Jesus, the Son of God, is able to take away your sin 
and shame and guilt. You overcome the devil. When you put your trust in Jesus to be the son of God who is able to open the way to heaven for you, you overcome the death trap of this world because you have an eternal life that's out ahead of you. When you put your trust in Jesus, the son of God, when you believe in Jesus, the son of God, you receive the power of his spirit right here, right now for strength to win. And in that victory, you shout. Sometimes you shout because you saw the battle won. And sometimes you shout because you have faith that you will. But you don't stay silent. But I want you to pray with me. And let's pray together that God would stir us up the way he would desire. God, I pray that you would bring to each one of us a fresh passion for your name, and, and also, God, new lenses to see what's really going on. And that behind every miserable Goliath is a mighty God who's revealed himself to be full of love for us and willing to extend the hand of victory to us. Forgive us, God, for where we just decide to settle into our skepticism. Forgive us, God, for where we just decide to slink back to our pessimistic place. But I pray, God, that there would be a, a movement away from that right now. We'd step back out and be like David that wouldn't run away from the battlefield, but like David who would say, I'm running back in. I believe this is worth fighting for, and I'm going to keep fighting for it. And I believe that my God is able. I've seen him move here. I've seen him move there. I've seen him do this. I've seen him do that. And I believe him for some kind of victory here too. God, I pray for right now an activation of that kind of faith in us. And a willingness to let out that ruah, that shout of joy and triumph in anticipation of a victory 